Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on a fireside chat on how mobile technologies are enabling smarter trial designs to generate better data and provide greater access for patients. And this podcast is from the 2022 Mobile Tech and Clinical Trials Conference, a sister event to the DFARM Conference. For more information about these conferences, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit dfarmconference.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. All right. So um, last time I got to see Dan speak, uh, he promised us uh, we were going to do psychedelics. Now, that was in Europe, so I don't know if it's going to change a little bit up here in Boston, but it's always entertaining when Dan takes the stage. I've not ever met uh, Sandeep Bhatt. He comes from GSK, but if he's willing to uh, have a chat with Dan, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Oh, I can't complain. Good, good. Favorite event of the year. <laughs> you guys get to hear a lot from me <laughs> during these days. But uh, Sandeep, obviously, you, you've had a chance already to address folks. But, but here we're going to do a sort of a different format. Do you want to just quickly reintroduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name's Sandeep Bhatt. I'm part of GSK, part of a group that's called Digital Analytics and Performance. Uh, by background, I'm a medical imaging bioengineer. Somehow got myself, uh, I fell in love with life sciences many years ago. So um, our group does do digital health, um, mHealth, DCT, SAMD, biomarkers. It's just kind of a, a gamut of all of that put together depending on like your time of the day. But um, it's pretty busy and fun to do. Excellent. So I, I mean, this is kind of your opportunity to, to take the floor a little bit and talk about some of the stuff you're working on. but. Uh, the broad topic here is how we're using mobile devices to, to sort of advance your goals in general and to think a little bit about, about both data quality and access. And those don't always align necessarily, right? Because so often in this space, when we think about uh, data acquisition, you know, as a physician in my office, what I'm doing is controlling the context, right? So I can gather really robustly context-controlled data, but not a ton of it because you can't always control the context of people's lives. So how do we think about that sort of interplay between the volume of data you get and your ability to control the context in which those data are collected? Absolutely. The, the way I looked at this talk title, uh, I put it into three different buckets. But as you mentioned, get generating better data. It's, um, it's a challenge for those of us that are more technocrats. I'm a data wonk. You can't keep collecting information. I think we've spoken about it before in the panel that I was in before. Collecting for collecting's sake is kind of a pain. It's also very costly. It is an inordinate burden for our uh, technology, our internal technology teams to support it and for what ends. And so the, there's always that data volume approach. I, I, those of us who do clinical trial work in no means show the respect of the amount of data volume that comes upstream in sort of the preclinical work. But even that, we have to be a little bit more um, cognizant of the fact that we're, we are collecting health information that may never have been used, or if it's used once, sort of the cost benefit of that to keep it for what reason. It's, it's, a, it's a big question. The question that I, I mean, the way that I looked at the talk topics are um, enabling smarter trial designs is kind of a concept that I want to keep you guys aware of. Uh, generating better data, we'll talk about that. And then also providing greater access. I think the easiest of these in terms of 
speaking in terms of layman's term, providing greater access is almost a no-brainer. There is so much availability of technology today that we've gotten so comfortable with. So I know that I believe with the raising of all of your hands that there is just technology all around us. And so greater access, what I'm looking at in terms of the stuff we do at GSK right now, we're, we're implementing a global platform. We're putting in global procedures. Uh, some of the peers you saw speaking next to me on the sponsor side look at pilots, POCs. We're already looking at scale-up phase 2B, phase 3 studies. And so providing greater access to patients is very, very key for the layman and the sort of the consumer market, the participant, to do and understand. Some of the barriers that we've seen are the fact that there's no regulation. There's just a very limited amount of understanding for folks that are in our own regulatory departments and then just generally a scan of doing a market scan of around the world. Um, why I bring that up first is it's kind of easy to talk to people about there is decentralized clinical trials, there is digital health, there is things you can do on your mobile device. The two other topics here, though, when you're talking about enabling smarter trial design and also generating better data, as you mentioned, Dan, generating better, what does better mean? I think that's really, and I'm, I'm actually not comfortable speaking to like me versus a thousand. I'm going to stop talking whenever I have some guys who might want to ask questions because I like fireside chats with me sitting next to the fire, but all you guys cozying up next to me. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I question what generating better data is every day, all the time, not because I don't want to collect it or I collect too much. I don't know what better is. I mean, better is for one study, maybe for a program, maybe for our technologists, maybe for our patients, maybe for our sites. So I, I question really what mobile technology is getting after. There's anybody who has any thoughts on that? Yeah, we can provoke you into... Hope, uh, hope the... Yeah. Hope the <laughs> I'll just say things that are flagrantly wrong until you, um, <laughs> until you feel compelled to correct me. Uh, also, I've noticed that you've put a safe layer of empty tables between us and you. Um, so, I mean, this is... To me, this is actually the critical question, which is... The data, right? And I said that this morning already, that the, the point of all of this stuff we do in trials is measurement. In the end, that, that is what we've got. And boy, am I uh, disappointed in the fact that our community continues to do measures that are validated by concurrent criterion validation. The number of times I have to see a paper that's like, we can do the PHQ-9, but with a phone and passive measurements. Cool, great. You know, Pfizer made the PHQ-9 to sell Zoloft. Why are we replicating it? Wouldn't we want to do something better? And I think a lot of us have gone through, a lot of us have experienced here. We've done this sort of data collection in our history before. Just a, a thing that I've done, um, I mentioned that I did a lot of work in medical imaging. Uh, turn of the century, actually, pre-century. So tells you how old it is. But compute, storage, networking, high compute, just didn't exist. But I was going around collecting data, very highly expensive MRI data, or CT scans, or ultrasound, 3D ultrasound, 4D ultrasound, uh, for one time point, one visit. And after you collect all that, and you create a pre-packed system that just doesn't exist in the world, you, you did, did it for one study, it gets to be burdensome, but you think, wow, so much, but why? So. Um, I really, 
I really want to keep it open and ask, you know, do you guys really believe that we're collecting better data or just more data? <clears throat> Who looks at their step count on a regular basis? Joan has a question. <laughs> as, as the microphone drifts back. Yeah, and I think it's also the fact of there's a population of peers of ours that question about the use, the reuse, the security of it, sort of the science at an earlier stage. I love working with some of my earlier stage colleagues who do a lot of POCs dealing with a smaller data set. But um, I, uh, I still question, you know, as you mentioned, you know, what was the reuse of it? What is sort of the second level storage? Why, why would we need a host? The hosting, the cost of hosting, or the reason why you're collecting, if you think about it, it goes through so many hops to keep in your data lakes, your data fogs, your data bogs, your data fabrics. Um, it can be painful, and by the time it gets there, what's the time? And was it useful for that first event, that first reason for measurement? And so you gotta push back and ask what was the reason for it. Um, I do wanna also mention about the whole idea of enabling smarter trial designs. I find that really cool because uh, the stuff we do at GSK, we are empowered to go as early as possible into that science itself. And that means the protocol, the questioning of the comfort, the patient burden, the reason why the SOA has certain visits that there's a, a need for travel or a, a need for a, uh, a virtual test at the patient's home in between maybe a treatment. And so we didn't have that ability before uh, I think probably in the last two or three years. I, I don't know if any of you guys had any experience of really shaking up a study protocol or a trial design before the last three years, but I would love to learn it. So, so they took a study protocol and they took it from paper and they just slapped on the digital on top of it without thinking how much you can make it simple. And I think one other thing that is very important for us to realize about mobile technologies, it's a small little thing. Um, it's not a sheet of paper. Um, you don't have that ability to view. You have the ability to go back and forth, but you're talking about a user. Um, there's two points in my point that I'll share with is One is the fact that it's just different real estate. I know it's digital real estate, but if you don't just take a piece of form, a paper, and just think of a sequence of questions, but also redo your logic and ask your questions about that white space, about the ability to go back and forth. Um, you have that, you have that now. So push your partners, your tech providers to really think outside the box. Um, the other thing about smarter trial designs, and I think at least some of us are parents, and I think that I'll outstandingly say that I've got two teenage kids, they'll demand mobile. It's mobile first or forget about it. I know we spoke in the morning a lot of patients who have difficulties to maybe use digital technology, but we're talking about a certain population of folks. And remember, we're old. That whole deluge of newer humans are just, they're not only digital native, they're mobile native, they're screen native. They're gonna eventually expect us to have 
as we heard, like emo emotional aspects, speaking, uh, much more like convenience, and 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 they, they might actually find something better than like two-factor authentication, which I think all of us are bugged by. Thoughts? Yeah. I think another thing, just to extend from that, and it's not flipping the coin. You're now digitally connected. Rather than before a physical visit, piece of paper, a little bit of time investment, and then say goodbye, and maybe another visit, maybe another treatment, these are participants you have direct access to. And so I, again, I'm proud to be part of an organization. We look at almost every aspect. We look at making sure we're doing the right thing and maybe not the right uh, need for maybe a digital enablement for particular um, events and studies and tests. But I think a lot of folks are still getting on, again, just getting on to the story of we have now digital connections. And I think you're doing it in every other part of your life, your bank account, your gas, your credit card, your shopping. So in terms of a clinical trial, it's nothing different. It shouldn't be. It makes it a lot more easier if a participant just says, oh, it's there, I can do it. Oh, this is an easier form. I would say from a raise of hands, how many of you have Apple products? Okay, and a lot of you are probably three, familiar. Three or more on your more. person right now. <laughs> a, a lot of you are also probably familiar. If you've got Apple products, you know that they're coming out with large mega studies, research studies. So from a raise of hands, if you'd like to tell me if you're participating, but are you aware of the large or Apple studies that are being done in the world today? If, if you know how simple those forms are and just naturally comfortable to just accept, do, measure, you'll do it every time. And so whatever, whatever their shtick is, we just adopt it. It's consumerism, but it's very, very comfortable. It's non-threatening. That's a great way to make uh, studies better. Can I, can I go back to flares for a second? Because yeah. I, think, I think IBD flares are actually a, a, a really nice category of opportunity here, which is that when you have a defined and episodic clinical event, like an IBD flare, it's exactly where mobile can add advantage. It's exactly where continuous monitoring, if it's predictive, 
can, uh, can, can kind of change the state of play because fundamentally then what we're talking about is that there has to be a pre-flare state, right? And so the entire point of digital here is can we go back from a detectable flare because of clinical change to predict that flare? And if you can do that, if you can identify a necessary, potentially insufficient, but a necessary state on the, on the way to a defined clinical event, what have you done now? You've defined a novel clinical state, right? And now we're talking about something really useful. We're talking about predictive clinical validity. And I'm excited to like, do that. It may not be specifically in that therapeutic area, but we, we work with a lot of infectious disease and some that do have a lot of flare-ups and sort of, you know, transmitted diseases, gonorrhea, HSV, CSC. There are certain things where you know that there's a little bit of a pre-event and then it may not be, and we're talking about mobile tech, please don't always think that mobile is things that we know of consumer devices, but at-home testing, at-home mobile. We all know what a PCR test is now, now that there's newer companies coming out, to put things in your house. Very discreet, putting it down, it looks just like a tissue box, but it's very highly complicated. Those are, they'll, they'll come out soon. I mean, there's a lot of companies that are similar in terms of investments of looking at technology of at-home checkups in a way, automated checkups to say, do you need to go to the clinic? And at what point, what severity? And that's, that's really cool. There was a words from over here. Okay. And you're also having the extra steps of two more hops. It's the restriction of every single site and how they do their own review process, as well as the changing of everyone's language. And obviously, with multiple languages, that's a, almost a cube instead of a one direction. You've got three levels of pain. Um, I hear you. I think one thing, um, again, as we start doing a lot more of common understanding of how ECOA forms, but also things that are upstream from that in the, in the decentralized space, we have informed consent, which is kind of like right there front and center, can we look at, again, another thing out of the box? I mean, I'm, I'm just not brainstorming, but I would think that when we drive in America, there's a lot of English. But when we drive in Europe, there's just a lot of symbols. They've sort of minimized the concept of using language to make an understandable statement. If we can probably put more symbolism in or an infographic that's part of it, that's easily understood, I think it would actually hopefully cause comprehension at a much more simpler level, using a little more color, it would actually make understanding a little better, it would be faster, and hopefully you don't have to, I mean, translations will you know, hopefully be limited and minimized. So those are things that I would like to explore, at least where we're looking at it in bits and bounds, but um, you know, it, it, like I said, it takes a community. We, 
we're still also restricted by the fact that our regulators don't exist for that. So, I mean, I don't know how many of us are going to be first to market by saying GSK wants to or whoever wants to put an infographic one-pager like we do for other things in our life. But, you know, what we want to do is strive toward that direction. Well, it's not even the balance. Patient-reported data is unique toward the patient. There's nobody watching it. It's the patient who does it. And obviously, it's an N of 1 because the next patient or the next caregiver has a different... It's their right, but also their inter interpretation of the question that could be different. So um, I wouldn't say that it's more it's just different. I think that what we can do is the other parts of ECOA OBS row, or even eventually maybe EIOT row, like there's going to be measurements that I'll just accept the fact, it's on, I'm going to sleep, it's measuring me, it's not the, it's not the site, it's me. That type of measurement, and if it's continuous, it's more common, and we won't have any problems, because it's just going to be engineered. But once it's an interpretation for you as a participant for this, yeah, you have to measure how much you're going to clap. And that's where I question, how much data do you want to collect that's individual? Toward, uh, you know, toward an individual's response. It's, it can get maddening after a while. It's a lot of data. All right. Thank you so much for your participation. Sandeep, thank you for your firesiding or whatever. <laughs> Where's the fire? Thank you both. For more information about these conferences, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit dfarmconference.com and that's dphamconference.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast.